My name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors here. So good to be with you guys today. Um, yeah, just imagine with me. Lots, lots and lots of thinking. So much contemplating, trying to approach it from this angle, trying to approach it from that angle. What to do? Wait a minute. What about, what about this? What about this, this other factor? I mean, which job is best? What, what would be more enjoyable? What seems to be more stable? What about the family? What's best for them? Well, hey, this one seems pretty good. I mean, the people over there, they're nice. But, man, I don't know. I didn't see any good Mexican restaurants there. And it's in Iowa. I mean, what about this one? I mean, we wouldn't have to move. We could stay here. Chrissy could keep her job. Um, but man, I'd have to ask, I'd have to do some support raising. I'd have to go ask people for, for money. Man, that doesn't sound very fun. Maybe I should just wait. See what would happen with this, this other place, you know, between Lincoln and, and Omaha. I mean, that, that's, yeah, there'd be a move, but that isn't very far. Kirstie could still keep her job. Man, I'd get a full salary. I'd get benefits. That seems legit. Days and weeks go by just trying to figure out which one is the best option. You know, this was just a little over three years ago when uh, we were actually deciding, contemplating, coming on board with City of Light here in Lincoln or taking a job elsewhere. And I felt like I just thought about it all the time. All, the, all of these different factors, all of these things to just think through. Man, which one really is the, the, the right decision? Trying to figure it out. Balancing everything. I mean, obviously we did eliminate the one in Iowa pretty quick. Um... <laughs> You know, and, I, and we, we did decide to come on board with, with City Light here in Lincoln. But, but you know what? I'll even admit, at weeks after we made that decision, I thought, hmm, was this really the right decision? I'd have a meeting with somebody doing some support raising. Hey, so yeah, this is what we're doing. And, and hey, we're trying to raise money for, for, for me to get paid. Um, and just in the back of my mind, hmm. What about that other one? You know, decisions can be really hard. And, uh, you know, we, we all face the, these, these tough decisions and we struggle with them sometimes. And we want to make, you know, you, you want to make the, the right choice. You want to make the best choice. You want to make sure that you have good outcomes. You know, we, we wonder about which job to take. Maybe you've wondered about which house to buy. You know, even one of the most antagonized decisions that, that we face is maybe what we are going to have for dinner. Hey, what do you want for dinner? Well, I don't care. Well, what do you want? I just need you to pick something. Oh, well, why don't we just eat this leftover chicken? Well, I already had that for the last two days. I ate it for lunch today. Uh, okay, well, hey, wait a minute. Why don't we just do pancakes? That sounds disgusting. I don't eat all those carbs. I'm not trying to do carbs. Well, then I just don't care. Just pick something, right? I mean, it's, it's a real struggle. And um, maybe, maybe you wonder which school to attend. Man, should I date this person? Should I marry this person? Should we buy that car? And, and, and for many of us, this is how we kind of approach these decisions that we have to make. And, and we have kind of this, this big 
value in it. This big factor that is helping us make the decision, maybe it's the biggest factor above the rest for most of us, is how will this turn out? Right? That's the, the, maybe the biggest thing is just the outcome. Will this end up working out for me? Will I like it? Or, or maybe that's a lot of times what the, the flip side is, what prevents you from making a decision is the fear in it. What if this doesn't work out? What if this isn't the best decision? What if this doesn't go well? You know, but here, here's a bigger question to ask is then, you know, just how will this turn out? Will this lead to a good outcome? And this is really the biggest factor in how you approach life, how you approach decisions is this. What does God think? What is God's will in this? But then how do we know what God thinks? How can we actually discern God's will? That's what we're going to be looking at today. So open up to Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> Acts is in the New Testament, so it'll be about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you've gone to Romans, a little too far. So um, Acts... And remember, in, in, uh, you know, and we'll pick it up there in verse 12, but remember in verse 4, Jesus told them, hey, you know, I want you to go back to Jerusalem, I want you to wait, wait for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit doesn't come uh, and, and, you know, fall upon them, give them power until chapter 2. So it's kind of like this inner, in-between time. So, um, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem. So they're obeying Jesus, doing what he said, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. A Sabbath day journey away. That's about like six-tenths of a mile. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and, and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. So it's just lift, listing all the, the apostles, the disciples, uh, minus Judas, because he died and betrayed them, you know. Um, verse 14. All of these with one accord. Look at that. Underline, circle that. One accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Now, before we kind of get onto this, I'm just going to take a little side note. That, that something, something that's just really beautiful here is that it lists all these disciples, and they're of one accord. Now, just, it can be really easy for us as we read this list to be like, oh, cool, there's some guys there. But I mean, look at this list. You have Simon the Zealot. This is somebody that is like so all about Israel. Hey, Rome is oppressing us. We need to kind of like get people together and we need to go against Rome. We need to make a change. We need to kick Rome out of here and we need to fight for this stuff. And so he despises Rome, even, even more than like a common person in Israel. And then somebody else that's in this list is Matthew the tax collector. Now we don't really even have an equivalent for that today. But I mean, think of this as like Rome has come in, punked, I mean this is like worse than the IRS, right? You know, he, he, Rome has come in there, punked Israel, taken over. And said, hey, your God's nobody. Actually, these are your gods. So they totally oppress them, rule over them. And then they say, hey, but to keep this machine running, we're going to tax you. So you're going to pay us to keep oppressing you. Hey, wait a minute. We know what we're going to do. So then they'll, they'll find somebody. Hey, do you want to come work for us and collect the money from us? For us. We'll pay you really good. 
And so they get, a, like an, a native person, they get, you know, Matthew, that's what he is. He's a tax collector. So he's somebody that's betrayed his own country, betrayed his own God to say, hey, I'm going to come work for the enemy to help keep you guys, my neighbors, my family, oppressed. And you have Simon the Zealot. But what does it say? They're there with one accord. How does that happen? How do you have that kind of unity? When, when that's kind of who you are. The reason that they can have that kind of unity is because they are looking to something far bigger than just being a tax collector or being a zealot. They're looking to something bigger than that and they're looking to Christ. Hey, what defines us, what used to define us, us being a zealot or us being a tax collector, how the world defines us. That is actually not what really will define us. What defines us is that Jesus came, he died, he paid the price for our sin, and he rose again, and now we're brothers. Which actually Peter in verse 16 refers to them as that. We're not looking to what the world says, or what the, who the world says we are. We're looking to what now we've been made in Jesus Christ. That was the basis of their unity. Really, the basis of their unity was horizontally to other people was because of their vertical relationship with God. Hey, we had now have this unity with God, this vertical unity with God, and now that changes how we interact with people horizontally. I mean, even when Jesus, somebody comes up to Jesus and asks him, hey, what's the greatest commandment? What's the one greatest commandment? Jesus can't separate it. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and... Because you can't separate it, love your neighbor as yourself. So how can I love people horizontally that are different than me? Because I know that I am loved by God vertically. And I think a lot of times we'll, we kind of come into life and thinking like, hey, I know I'm loved by God. I love God. And, and this is great vertically, our relationship with God. But then horizontally, we're like, well, I'll love you if... If you post like me on Facebook, then I'll love you. Hey, if you agree with me on my political stances, then we can be buddies. Hey, if you look like me, act like me, think like me, then we can get along. But that's not the basis of any of the unity that we have with people that are, that are different than us or even in, you know, in this room. It's not because you vote a certain way. It's not because you look a certain way. All these things that the world defines us, whether it's political affiliation, whether it's race, whatever it is, uh, economic status, that is not what defines us. It's ultimately Jesus and who he's made us that define us. And that's how they have this wonderful unity because of who Christ has made them. And so... Just kind of a side note, back on track. The apostles, they know that, that Jesus, he's told them, hey, you're going to be my witnesses to the world, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Now wait for the Spirit. And so while they're waiting for the Spirit, does God just want them to sit around? Hey, just kind of wait, sit around, twiddle your thumbs, play some video games, and just Spirit will show up someday. Just wait up. You know, what does God want them to do exactly? And so... The apostles actually are like, hey, we're not going to just sit around. We're going to pray. They seek God in prayer. And so that's just the first point. Hey, if we want to know what God wants, if we want to discern God's will, if we want to know how to make decisions, we're going to seek God in prayer. And in verse 14, depending on your translation, some of them say, kind of have this emphasis that they're constantly praying. 
They're praying all, all the time. And, and in Luke, he's the author of Acts, both in his gospel, the book of Luke, and in Acts. That's something that he always emphasizes is prayer. And if you, you look through Acts, it seems like they're always praying. They, they pray here as they wait for the Holy Spirit. In verse 24, they pray before the decision is made to replace Judas. They devoted themselves to prayer in chapter 2. They joined together in prayer chapter 4. Over and over again, they just pray. In chapter 6, they, there's this other thing that, that kind of is maybe pulling them away and they, you know, for, to them to give attention to. And they're like, hey, we, we can't do that. We have to devote ourselves to the prayer, to, to prayer and the ministry of prayer. And we tend to think a lot of times that prayer, we're going to pray for ministry. We're going to pray for this to happen. And that's good. We should be praying that. But prayer is not just what fuels the ministry. Prayer is the ministry. We don't just pray for ministry to happen. Prayer is part of, like, is ministry. And so they're, they're, they're always praying. It was so essential to, for them. And here is their, is their, their waiting. Hey, God, what do, you, what do you want us to do? We're going to seek you in prayer. And, and prayer ultimately just helps connect us to God. We're just going to talk about quick four things that prayer does when we're trying to know what God wants and, and discern his will. So prayer, the first thing that prayer does is prayer helps you to be dependent. Prayer helps you be dependent. A big way is that what prayer does is if you're going to God, you know that you don't know best. Right? I don't know what to do. I don't know what's best. So God, I'm going to go to you. And in verse 24, if you look at it, as, the, as they come to, you know, getting closer to making the decision of, hey, who's going to replace Judas because he's, he's a deserter. He, he gave up. Verse 24, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these you have chosen? Hey, we don't know what's best. We don't know people's hearts. God, we're coming to you because we're dependent on you, dependent on you knowing best. And so often we, we think that we have to figure it out, that we have to be super wise. We have to kind of know everything. But prayer admits, hey, I, I don't know everything. I don't know what's best. I mean, how awesome is that? I mean, I feel like that that's something that's actually really great. That we can just be open and honest. We don't, we don't have to put all this pressure on ourselves. It's just like, I'm not really sure. But hey, it's okay if I don't know everything. I worship a God who does. And I can go to that God whenever I want because of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. So it can just help even just take out some of the anxiety of, of, of the decisions that we're facing or how we approach life knowing God's will. I mean, in 1 Peter 5, it's one of my favorite verses. It says, just cast all your cares on him. Cast all of them on him because he cares for you. So prayer teaches us dependence. Prayer helps us listen. This is what Proverbs 3, 4, and 5 says. It says, do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on yourself, but in all your ways, in everything, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So it, it teaches us to listen to God, not to just you know, talk to God. I mean, that's definitely part of prayer. But hey, God, I'm dependent on you, so I'm going to listen to you. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So it helps us to just listen to God rather than being, trying busy to figure it all out. 
Third thing is prayer helps orient our hearts to God's will and to respond in obedience. So um, this is just kind of basic logic. If we know that we don't know best, if we're actually listening to God, then when God speaks, I'm already more oriented to obeying him. I'm already more oriented to like wanting what God wants. It shapes us. Even Jesus, when he's in the garden, you know, prayed, God, Father, not, not you know, if, if possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. You know, prayer is not just God bless me, God, God make things awesome for me. It's, it's not my will, God, but yours be done. And then the last thing, I mean, you know, prayer helps us be dependent, helps us listen, helps orient our hearts to God's will to, to respond to obedience. But then prayer, the last thing is it changes things. Prayer is not just about changing you. We don't, not that it changes God, but it's not just about changing you. Prayer matters. Prayer changes things. You know, in, in Matthew 7, Jesus said, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Kind of the flip side is like, well, hey, if you're not knocking, I don't know if it's going to be open. Hey, seek. Well, if you're not seeking, I don't know if you're going to find it. You know, knock and it will be open to you and that God will give good things to those who ask. If you aren't asking for God to guide you, it's going to be hard, maybe a little harder to receive that guidance. And so when, you, when you're trying to f- like figure out, hey, how should I just approach and, and view life? How should I make this decision? And you're, you're asking God, you're seeking God in prayer. God, lead me. God, guide me. I'd say trust that he's going to respond to you. Now, he might not respond the way that you want. He might not give you the answer that you like. But I mean, in Psalm, Psalms 37, 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So if you're delighting yourself in God, God, I'm looking to you for, for, for guidance and, and just delighting in who you are, your ways, then he will shape your heart to be more like his. He will shape the desires of your heart. He will give you the heart, the desires of your heart to shape who you are. I mean, when I was thinking about coming on board with City Light and a couple other possibilities, this thought of raising support and having no f- benefits and stuff like that, it didn't sound great. But the more that I prayed, the more that I'm just like, God, I just want to follow you. God, what are you leading in me? And God, just help me to surrender my will so that I'm just looking to you for your will. I, I can't even explain it, but just over time, over a few weeks, it was just like, man, this feels kind of dumb. I mean, I literally told my wife that. I'm like, I don't know. She's like, well, you think it's like, I'm like, well, it seems dumb, but man, I just can't shake it. God answered. God led. And so, you know, just know that your prayers actually matter here. And, so, and, and they, they, we see it happening in this passage too. And, you know, the followers of Jesus, they're seeking God in prayer, seeking him to replace him. They're dependent on him. So, First thing they do is they seek God in prayer. Next thing that they do is they seek God in his word. Seek God in his word. Look at verse 16. So they're praying, devoting themselves to prayer constantly. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, now 
I want you to go get on Facebook and see what everyone else is saying and see if that, their opinions line up with yours. Hey, why don't you just put out a poll there and see if you could get a lot of people to agree with what you think. And if a lot of people agree with you, then that's the way that we should go. Or just Google it. It's not what Peter does. He says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand. And so Peter's saying, hey, the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. First off, to just notice, he's saying like, yeah, David wrote it down, but who guided him in everything? The Spirit. There's not this separation for Peter between the Word of God, what God has said, and the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has, has directed all of those things that would be written. What we have here is God's Word. Because God led it through his spirit. This is what 2 Peter 1.21 says. It says, For prophecy, for scripture, never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is inspired by God. God working through humans, authors, to say, hey, I'm going to actually at the end of this, because I, in my sovereignty, know who you are and what, all everything you're going to say, I'm going to lead you and guide you through my spirit, and now we're going to have the word of God. And that's what Peter's saying. Hey, the Holy Spirit spoke through, um, the, through uh, David concerning Judas. This is verse 16. Who became a guide to those who were arrested, for he was numbered among us and allotted his share in ministry. And then, and then Luke kind of gives us this, this, you know, little parentheses here saying, hey, and this is how Judas died. This is what happened to him. And, and you know, just emphasizing, hey, Judas's betrayal against Jesus. And this is what happened to him. And then on there in verse 20 says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. And so Peter here, he quotes from, from the book of Psalms, in Psalm 69 and in Psalm 109. And so here, just one thing to notice, who has the authority here in what's happening? It's not Peter. Because Peter is saying, what does Scripture say? That's what Scripture has said. So now we know what to do because of what Scripture has said. God's, and, and you know, many times we, we make ourselves the authority in our own life. Hey, what do I think? What do the, or maybe what the other people around me think. What God's word, you know, what God says, his word is way more trustworthy, way more right than any of your opinions. You know, there's this, um, this captain and he's on a ship and it's, it's at sea, it's nighttime. And the captain, he, he looks out into the night sky and he sees a light. And he gets on the radio and he says... Hey, um, you need to adjust your course 10 degrees south. We're heading towards each other. Adjust your course immediately. The voice on the radio responds, actually, no, you need to um, adjust your course 10 degrees north. The captain gets upset. Hey, alter your course 10 degrees south now. You need to do that now. The voice replies, Again, just know you need to alter your course now. Now, I mean, now the captain's upset. Now, I mean, he's just, he's just furious. And he gets, gets on the radio and he goes, Hey, you need to alter your, your course right now. This is the captain. I'm a battleship. 
The voice replies, I'm a lighthouse. Now we want God to alter his ways to us. But it's really the reverse. We always need to alter our mind, our thinking, our life to what has already been declared the spoken word of God. You are not the authority. The news is not the authority. What other people think is not the authority. Having great outcomes is not the authority. What God has given us in his word because he's created everything. He's created your soul. He knows your soul, knows your heart, knows everything far better than you. He determines what is right and wrong. This is what Isaiah says about the word of God, that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, did Jesus just try to outwit him? Which he could have. Well, hey, this is what I think, Satan. Nope, he quoted scripture. The word of God. Scripture is the light to how you see the world. It's the lens and through which we should see everything. So in anything, anything that comes up in your life, anything that comes up out, out there in the news or whatever, hey, how, what should I think about that? What does the word of God say? That's how I'm going to interpret everything around me is through God's word. That's what I'm first looking at. That's what I'm looking through. And, and Peter here, I mean, for the apostles, because this is kind of a crazy thing that's happened to them. Hey, Judas, this guy that's been with us for three years, he shared with us in the ministry. He, he, he healed people. Man, he, he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of sil silver and had him turned in and then he hung himself and died. They're trying to make sense of what's happened. Trying to make sense of, of how can that be part of God's plan? Right? Well, I mean, like Jesus picked him. Jesus picked this guy and he betrayed him. So how can, how can that be what, what Jesus wanted? And so they're trying to figure it out. Oh, hey, wait a minute. How are we going to figure this out? We're going to look at God's word. Hey, this is what the word said. That, that the Messiah would suffer... Oh, hey, so th this, is, this passage back in Psalm 69 is talking about that. So, hey, this is, that's how we're going to interpret that. Hey, another one will take his office and says that again in Psalms. Oh, that, that, that must be why that this is happening, that God ha has everything in control. And so look to God to make sense of it all rather than just all these things. Put your, you know, put your first, your second, your last place that, that you're looking to interpret what is going on around you, that should be the word of God. Let the Bible interpret your life as you view you know, the world and make decisions, trying to know what God wants. Look at his word. And so we see, we, we seek God in prayer. We seek God in his word. And then the last thing is we seek God in, and his mission. We seek God in his mission. So I mean, one of these questions, it might be like, why do the apostles need to add anybody? Right? Judas is dead. Why don't they just roll with 11? Why don't, hey, why don't, why don't they, why do they need 12 at all? Why don't they just get 13? Hey, there's 120 of them. Why don't they just get, a, you know, everybody? You know, why do they need somebody for this office of, of 12? You know, God has a plan. I mean, Jesus, he even said in Matthew that, hey, you, tw like the 12 of you are going to judge over the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus had appointed 12 apostles 
you know, to, to corresponding to the 12 tribes of Israel. And so part of that's just what Jesus said would, hey, you're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Hey, something that's going to happen far into the future. But that's part of God's mission, part of God's plan that's, that Jesus said would happen in the future. The other part of this is that for, for the, the apostles, I mean, they're Jews. For Peter, hey, what, what has Scripture really actually led us to as part of God's mission this whole time? When God came to Abraham and said, hey, I'm going to bless you so that you could be a blessing to the nations. Hey, when God came to Israel, Israel, you, you 12 tribes of Israel, I'm going to bless you. You'll be my special people so that you will be a light to the world. And so now, as they're entering into the, like this church age, hey, God, Jesus, he appointed us to kind of represent these 12 tribes. And this is actually now like the new Israel coming to be the light. Christianity is like the fulfillment of the new Israel that's coming into and just saying, hey, this is going to be God's mission keeping to being carried out. It would represent the culmination of Israel's hope through the Messiah. And so for, for Peter, this is about advancing God's kingdom. It's not just like, well, 12 sounds better than 11 because 11 is goofy. It's, hey, God has a plan God has a mission and God is working it out. And, and that, that's why they, they place a huge importance on whoever replaces Judas. Man, they have to be with us from the beginning so they can testify to the resurrection. Hey, we're not just picking somebody in here just to get somebody. I mean, look at verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus <clears throat> went in and out among us. So he's kind of listening, hey, this is what's required of whoever we get. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They're not looking for someone to sit in a pew. We need somebody to witness to Jesus. There's a job to be had. There's a mission to be going out. There's a gospel to be proclaimed. That's what we're looking for. And this is such an important thing. And he even calls it, you know, later he's like, hey, to take place in this ministry. We need somebody to take place in this ministry. Because, hey, there's a lost and broken, dark, sinful world that needs a Savior. And we know who it is. It's Jesus. So we're looking for somebody, you know, the, the concern here is gospel advancement. And so whenever you're not very clear, you know, in life, look, look more and more, hey, what is God's mission? What does God really want to see take place in my life? What does God really want to see take place in this world? Because when you're very clear on the goal and the mission, knowing what to do becomes just a lot clearer. You know, a few, few years ago, we, we took our kids to the Children's Museum downtown and uh, they had had a new exhibit downstairs, and it was this big clock tower. And, uh, you know, the kids just kind of crawl all around, and there's like these little conveyor belts that move these blocks up there, and there's this place to stack the blocks. And, and then over some time, uh, you know, every 10 minutes, 15 minutes or whatever, these kind of alarms, you know, sound off, and then boom, all the blocks fall down, and they just kind of spill all over the floor. And so we got down there, and, you know, the kids start playing in there, and I, and I just kind of was, was just watching what's happening. And something I noticed is that everybody was working together. A lot of the kids were, were working together to help get these blocks collected, get them up 
to higher up in the tower and stack them all up. And the weird thing is, is I'm like, nobody told them what to do. I never told my kids now, hey, this is what you need to do. You need to go grab these bricks and all these things. They, they just all did it, all together. And there was very little fighting about this. And, and they kind of acted with this confidence. Hey, we know what we need to do in this urgency. Why? Because the mission, the goal was very clear to them. We know what needs to happen. The blocks need to get up there. What I need to do is very clear. Get some blocks. Very clear. I know how to act. It wasn't about them getting what they wanted. None of the kids say, well, I want to put the blocks over here. None of them said that. They just knew this is what this is all about. And when we know that our lives are not all about us, but really about what God wants to do, decisions become a lot clearer. How you approach life becomes clear. The way that you view all these things becomes a lot clearer. You know, that, that I mean, the clear that God's mission is that he wants to save people, to bring them out of darkness. The clear it is that God wants to free people from sin and death. That he wants to bring healing, that he wants to bring reconciliation through people hearing and responding to the gospel. The clearer that is, the clearer is how you're going to view everything. Your marriage or your future marriage isn't ultimately for you. The purpose of you in that marriage is to not make you happy. It's also to not make sure that they're happy. It's so that God would be glorified and that through the love that you have through one another, people would be like, hey, that's awesome. What is that? Uh, it's actually not our awesome love. It's the awesome love of Jesus. The decisions that you make for your kids, it's not to make sure that they're successful. That is not the goal that God has for you, for, for you or for your kids. It's just so that they can be successful. It's so that they would know him and that other people would know him through them. Your job. Yeah, hopefully you could get a job that you just absolutely love and you enjoy. And hey, hopefully you get a job where you can make a lot of money. That's great. But ultimately your job is not so that you can be comfortable. It's so that you would do a good job and through doing a good job, your neighbors and the people around you would, would be loved and that through you people would know Jesus. And so we, we focus on God's mission. What does God, what is really he up to in this world that helps give us clarity in what we should be doing? So we seek God in prayer. We seek God in his word and we seek God in his mission. You know, at the end, end of this, you know, Peter says, hey, this is not for us to choose. Let's seek God. Jesus, you're going to choose the right person. And they, they kind of get to the end of it. And, the, you know, there's one guy with multiple names. I don't know if that's a good thing. If he's really popular, hey, it was Barsabbas. You know, no, it's Justice. I don't know. Um, the guy with all the nicknames or if it's like, well, hey, everybody, everybody's a bigger deal. And so we, we, you know, we have to keep switching your name. Um, but it falls on Matthias. And so God answers. And so this story here, you know, not just helps us to know how to, like, discern God's will. But, I mean, this is good news. This is really good news. I mean, first, this is good news because we just know that God's in control. I mean, if you look at Judas as one of being one of the disciples, 
who betrayed Jesus, who sold him for 30 pieces of silver, and then, then who eventually like went and, and, and like killed himself. And then you read this story, man, like his you know, guts are spilling out. You'd probably think, man, I don't think things are going to really work out very well. We have one really bad guy in our company, and I think he's going to ruin this thing. But we see, you know, that, that hey, God's in control. God knew what he was doing. God wasn't shocked by that. God still worked everything according to his purposes. There's actually even some debate here if, if, if they even picked the right person in Matthias. You know, some people think, well, it was actually they should have just waited for the Holy Spirit and pick, you know, because it's clearly, it's Paul. Paul's the 12th apostle. Now I think, you know, and then, you know, people will look to like, well, because look at all the things that Paul did. Paul wrote so much scripture. We don't even, who's Matthias? I think that's actually kind of an American way of looking at it. People are looking at the outcomes. Well, how do you know, how do you know what God's will is? Well, just because look at the outcomes, and that'll tell you. I think they got it right. Nowhere in Scripture do we ever see that they got it wrong. Paul doesn't seem to think that he's actually the 12th apostle. So it's not like Paul's griping about it. They're totally relying on God. But here's the thing. I'd say, I don't even know if it matters. Because guess what? Jesus still built his church. God's in control. You're going to make some wrong decisions. But this is good news to be like, hey, God's going to do what he's going to do. I mean, if, if Acts teaches us one thing, they use these ordinary, uneducated people to do amazing things. I mean, I love reading the Gospels because I relate with Peter a lot. I mean, I remember when I was early on reading the Bible, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Peter, yeah. And then Jesus rebukes him, and it's like, oh, Jesus rebuked me. <laughs> but God did amazing things, right, through this guy that didn't get, it always, didn't get it always right. That's good news for us. Hey, God's in control. He's going to use me, you know, you, ordinary, imperfect people to do his work. Second, you know, second thing, you know, is that, that many times, you know, when we're thinking of decisions, we kind of look from signs from God. You know, God, should I do this or, you know, uh, or that? Then, you know, if, if, if you want me to do this, then this will happen. We want God's will. We want to know God's will very quick and easy. Just give me a simple yes or no, God. Just tell me what to do. We kind of want, you know, this magic eight ball. You know, a roll of the dice. I mean, casting lots, you know, that, that's kind of like what it is. It's kind of like picking names from a hat. You just write it on, on stones. You know, and, and, and we, we want that. You know, and I, I'm sure a bunch of you are asking this question. All right, Ricky, this is great. But just tell us, can we cast lots today? Right? Can we do it? And I'd say, I think the answer is no. After they receive the Holy Spirit in the next chapter, we never see them do this again. Not that they're acting in disobedience now, but later on, they just do it. But here, here's the good news in this. We don't have to rely on dice. We don't have to rely on casting lots or anything like that because we have the Holy Spirit in us. Hey, will this, this thing, you know, will this, this, you know, draw names from a hat, will we'll roll in the dice, that'll guide me. Wait a minute, I have the ultimate guide in the Holy Spirit living in me. That's awesome. That's such good news that he's dwelling in us. And then, and you know, the last reason that this is good news is that because, you know, some of you are like, man, this feels like, a, this feels kind of weighty. And you're going to leave, you know, kind of like feeling a little like, 
you know, anxiety of like, man, I need, I need to make sure that I seek God in prayer. I need to make sure that I seek God in his word. I need to make sure that I seek God in his mission. And if I do all of these things really correctly, then, then I will decide all the right things and then I will know God's will. Here, here's some, some good news. God is not pleased with you because you make every decision right. God is not pleased with you or, or just loves you more because you do such a great job of seeking him in prayer every time. God, God, you, you, don't, you don't get like more accepted by God because you do such a great job of seeking God in prayer or seeking God in his word. You're not made more right with God because you do such a great job of not being selfish and seeking God in his mission. You're made right with God because Jesus did all of those things perfectly for you. Jesus made every right decision. Yes, you don't always seek God in prayer, but Jesus always sought God in prayer. Hey, you don't, you don't always rely on God's word. Sometimes you do, it just comes down to what you think. But Jesus always relied on God's word. Yes, sometimes you are selfish. But Jesus perfectly was like, hey, this isn't about me. This is about what you want to do, God, in saving humanity. That's why I'm going to lay down my life. I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. You are made right with, not because of you making all these decisions correctly or doing everything right. You're made right with God because of what Jesus has done for you. He is your perfect obedience in your place. And he died and he paid the price for your, for your sin. So that you, not because of what you do, not because of you making all these decisions right, you're made right with God because of what Jesus has done for you and because he did it for you. That's some great news for us today. Let's pray.